0: Lots and lots of spoilers
1: Good evening Welcome to Mike's Mech's Movies Good evening Tonight's little tidbit is another entry in our series A few of our favourite things Good evening We're having a little chat about some of our favourite samples Of things what you might see at the cinema This week's suspect <coughs> example is from the year of our lord 1975, Monty Python and the Oli. Good evening. Sorry, Grail. This is the first cinematical outing of the performance troupe, Monty Python's Fly and Whatnot, and I'm told there are those who find it quite a bit on the comical side. Can't see it myself. Too silly, really. Uh, Allow me to (laughs) introduce myself. I am Chief Detective Constable Sergeant Group Major Captain Domo Major Domo Max Levine Smith Smythe Smith, And sitting there in a lovely chintz armchair and his own filth is me trusty aide-de-campy Sir Lord Viscount Baron Burgermeister Michael Tiger Draws Loose. Good evening. Good evening.
0: (laughs) Uh, I'd like to uh, point out two things. I would like to uh, thank you for the promotion. I believe you said Mike Max movies, but that's fine. Uh, And (laughs) I just want to say it's not my first outing.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, well it's not well, this is the first time I did it the first what? time yeah no no the first time your first outing you did it oh you outed but, yourself
0: is this but you're not you can't have an outing
1: <laughs> no I'm outing you oh again for the first time again <laughs> ah <laughs> so yes this week we are again talking about a few of our favorite things just our favorite movies the movies we love through thick and thin short and fat tall and wide. <laughs> Hither and Yon. Get on Turkish. with it! Yes, it's, yes. It's, 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 and this is one of my all-time favorite movies, Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Um, up until very recently, I have only ever seen this movie in the theaters.
0: You too, huh? I,
1: yeah. I always felt, and it's dumb, but I felt this way, I felt watching it on video was cheating. <laughs> I have no logical explanation for this. It's just always felt like cheating.
0: No, you don't.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I can't, wow, I can't explain it.
0: This film, I lo- like yeah. not Casablanca, nope. not Gone nope. with the Wind, not any of these films whose great cinematic expanse really should be only... Fi- Monty Python and the Holy Grail, really?
1: Yep, that was it. <laughs> Part of that is because there was a period in my life I had the entire movie from start to finish memorized.
0: <laughs> you were not alone.
1: Yeah, I and know. It's a yeah, we'll get to that. A lot <laughs> it was a big thing for a lot of people. Yeah. In fact, a lot it was really lonely hard. People. As I as I <laughs> lonely, lonely people, <laughs> I discovered it is really hard for me to watch this movie now because I start saying the lines with them. Of course you do. And I can't stop. <laughs> I actually had to sit there biting my arm at some point so I could hear them.
0: Meh. <laughs> it's
1: like Rocky Horror. You don't go to watch yeah. the movie. No, not anymore. I lost track of how many times I saw this in the theater after thirty. Wow. Yeah, but there are many inter- there are many interesting facts as well as lovely lakes about this movie. <laughs> I bet there isn't. <laughs> the show. <laughs> Uh, there, there is a ton of stuff. I'm only going to be able to cover some of it. Uh, the budget for this movie was about $230,000. So that that's would, I right. think,
0: make it the thousands. cheapest film that we have yet done.
1: I think that's right. And uh, the worldwide take was about $2 million. That doesn't sound like a lot, but that's <laughs> almost ten times the budget. That's pretty good. And what I loved was, you know where the money came from for this movie? George Harrison. Good chunk of it...
0: Oh no! Wait, that's Some that's, of it, that's uh, no, Life of Brian.
1: Pink Floyd. <laughs> Pink Floyd donated a big chunk of the funds they got from Dark Side of the Moon to make this movie. They they were uh, so did Led Zeppelin and Genesis. <laughs> These guys loved the show. Wow. Flying Circus was on around 1969. Uh. They used, this this is one of those trivia things everybody who knows the movie knows. The reason they used the coconut shells for horses, which made for one of the greatest visual gags, I think, in cinematic history, they just couldn't afford horses. (laughs) They wanted horses, they couldn't pay for them.
0: I'm not so sure any of them can ride anyway,
1: so... Yeah, I don't, well, no, a couple of them could. Remember, these are good English lads who went to English boarding schools and... I think they must teach them to, you know, it's along with how to dunk a crumpet to learn to ride a horse or play polo or something. You don't know any British people, do you? Oh, sure, Not they all ride horses. Such such. No, I assume they all ride horses and play cricket.
0: Right, okay.
1: Prove me wrong! I've
0: been there twice! Once
1: well, with you! I've only been there once, yeah. Well, we just happened to go on a day when their horses were being cleaned and there was no cricket. Could have happened. Well, we did see Cricket, but... We did. Yeah. And it was just as baffling then as it still is to me now.
0: And I almost got in trouble.
1: <laughs> oh, that's right. We were, were we sitting too close?
0: No, I kept cheering for anything. Like, something would happen, and I'd go, yeah, you're like, Mike, we're going to get in trouble. Mike, we're going to get into trouble.
1: <laughs> yeah, and we were getting some really nasty looks from the other spectators. Yeah, I was 20. What did I know? <laughs> Uh, since now the armor that most of the knights wore was actually made of wool, except Graham Chapman King Arthur's armor was the only one that was actually metal the, this was all shot in Scotland and England and their weather being what they normally are, the actors spent most of the shooting being very cold and very wet.
0: That was actually one of my first notes, was that the filming looked like it was miserable
1: oh it was, they all talk about how they the actual making of the film was a nightmare It was just so cold and so awful. And at the end of every... They they were staying in this little hotel that had a very limited number of baths and very limited hot water. At the end of every shooting day, there was a mad dash to see who could get back to the hotel first and into the hot water. (laughs) Yeah, they all agreed that they did not enjoy the filming experience of this.
0: Yeah. Well, I think it can all be boiled down to, there's some lovely filth down here.
1: (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. And we'll get to that. The French tactic of pelting Arthur and his knights with livestock actually echoes a historical reality of the famous medieval siege on the town, French town of Carcassonne. Oh, the game. So, yep, pretty much. That was based on the same castle. Uh, the people, the, the townspeople, were supposed were believed to be right near starvation. They used the last of their food. Particularly, well, the most famous is they threw a pig at the at the besieging army. And the army said, they must have so much food that they can throw it at us. We're never going to break this siege. And they left.
0: <laughs> okay. Yeah.
1: So <laughs> the, the story. Oh, <laughs> fetch a <la vache>. yeah. <laughs> 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 C'est un cadeau.
0: Quoi? <laughs> oh, present. Uh, oh, present.
1: Uh, this movie, by the way, almost killed John Cleese. Really? As Tim the Enchanter, when he is standing on the pinnacle. Oh, dear. On each side was a drop that could have killed him. <laughs> and to make matters worse, the wind kept threatening to push him over either <laughs> side. Between takes, he had to crouch down and hold onto the rock to avoid being pushed over. Wow. He remembers be- it being terrifying, but he did it anyway because he knew what their budget and their timelines were. Yeah. And I was a f- professional.
0: I had a feeling there wasn't a lot of, um, shall we say, stunt performers. <laughs> <clears throat>
1: No, no, I'll get to that too. The, uh, John Cleese and Terry Gilliam performed all of the stunts during the duel between the Black and Green Knights. <laughs> they, they both had to learn to manage big, heavy swords and do some acrobatics, even though you can't recognize either of them in the full armor and swords. They didn't want to use stuntmen, uh, and they had a ton of fun with this duel. Oh. Uh, during the witch hunt... Eric Idle at one point bears his teeth and is biting down on the blade of the scythe he's carrying. This wasn't scripted. Uh, Idle was actually about to completely lose it, just crack up laughing, and he bit the scythe to stifle himself. If you watch, you can see him shaking while he's doing it. Michael Palin is also turning his face away from the camera at the same time. And uh, John John Cleese also turns his head away during some of the shot cuts because they kept almost corpsing, which is laughing on camera or on stage, because Terry Jones kept varying the timing of his delivery, (laughs) and it was a different kind of funny every time, and they almost lost it. (laughs) Did I hurt? Yes. the black back back to the Black Knight scene. The Black Knight is initially played by John Cleese, but when Arthur cuts off his leg, the first leg, they got an actual one-legged actor, a oh. local silversmith, to use it. Uh, uh, they use somebody he, Tremaine, was it? Uh, no, I thought that, I thought he was missing a hand.
0: Yeah, well, yeah, but he was a silversmith. Do you can you, oh, can oh. you name any other famous silversmiths? I can't.
1: Yeah, yeah, Paul Revere. Come on. Well, yeah, but he was missing a leg. No, ah! no, Well, not that we know of. <laughs> I run rings around you logically. Uh, uh, Terry Gilliam uh, said that a marionette was used to film the shot of the second leg being cut off, but they also joked that using the one-legged silversmith for the shot of the night with no legs saved work because they only had to dig a hole for one leg. Uh, John Cleese uh, maintains he was the one standing in the holes. Yeah,
0: I'm sure it was.
1: Yeah. Uh... We see actually the depiction of God. That is a photograph of the famous 19th century English cricketer W.G. Grace. Ah. Yes, that cricketer. I know you were getting it mixed up with another famous cricketer, weren't you?
0: Uh, Yes, the Mr. Grace of Grace Brothers Department
1: Store. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, When we see a shot of Sir not appearing in this film, that is Sir Michael Palin's infant son, William. Ah, at one of the most famous scenes of course, is the killer rabbit. Hmm. This, oddly enough has a historical precedent. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. almost far- a little bunny <laughs> <laughs> That rabbit's dynamite. As part of the stained glass and interior decoration, a number of medieval cathedrals had illustrations of the virtues and the vices. The vice of cowardice was often depicted as a knight running away from a rabbit. <laughs> Notre Dame in Paris has no fewer, or had, I hope they're still intact, no fewer than three such medallions of a killer rabbit.
0: (laughs) Okay. Well, you know, that's okay, because I think it's the uh, Washington, D.C. Cathedral has a gargoyle of Darth Vader, so, you know. That's right.
1: That's right. Uh, In the Japanese release, Holy Grail is, (laughs) yes, there was a Japanese release of this movie, and Holy Grail is translated as Holy Sake Cup.
0: Okay. Okay. I just, like, occasionally... You see some things that get translated and you realize that the cultural differences are so great that no language translation is going to help. And one yeah. of the other ones I saw, and I think I may have mentioned this like 50, 60 episodes ago, uh, was when I once saw a Japanese translation of the Beverly Hillbillies. Oh, wow. Jiddu! <laughs> Jiddu! Yeah, and it's just like, what do they think is going on? And same thing <laughs> for Holy Grail. It's like, I can't imagine the Japanese public like embracing this and going, oh, this is wonderful. I, but I don't... Uh, yeah.
1: Yeah. When the, mo- the movie was screened at the Cannes Film Festival, mm. and the audience was just cracking up at the opening credits, which we'll talk yeah. about. Yeah. However, the projector stopped, and the audience was still laughing, crazy, thinking it was part of the movie. It turned out there was a bomb scare, <laughs> and the firemen came in and had to make everyone... And they practically had to drag people out. Huh. There were... Oh, now, this movie was directed by both Terry Gilliam and Terry Jones. This didn't work so well. There was a lot of disagreement between the two.
0: Hmm.
1: Gilliam was way more focused on the technical aspects, and Jones was more focused on the comedy. After this, it was agreed that Jones would direct all of the other Monty Python movies. Hmm. Uh, Some of the sadder part, Graham Chapman Hmm. was known to be a raging alcoholic, and uh, he was trying to suppress it with this drug called Antabuse. This caused a lot of problems on the show, and not just because he kept forgetting his lines. The first day of shooting, and this is weird because it's one of those things where you find out they shot one of the last scenes first, Mm -hmm. it was the crossing of the Bridge of Death.
0: Oh, wow, yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Now, he used to drink really heavily to calm his nerves. He had terrible stage fright. He quickly discovered to his dismay that the crew had no booze on the set, And the nearest town was too far away to to get any. Consequently, he's visibly stressed, shaking, sweating, and moving really slowly through the scene, even though he was an experienced rock climber. Huh. Uh, The crew didn't know about his alcoholism at the time, and they just wondered if the heavy costume, which weighed about 25 pounds... Big deal. ...was was causing his stress. It, It was actually the DTs.
0: Yeah, sorry about that, but, you know, you know all too well the uh, the orc costume I wear to the local oh, right. weighs between 50 and 60 pounds. <laughs> yeah,
1: I know. You're not impressed by any of that crap. 20
0: pounds, big deal. My submarine sandwich for lunch was 20 pounds.
1: <laughs> uh, Graham Chapman was also uh, a closeted gay man, and uh, Sir Sir Michael Palin wrote in his diary, Graham Chapman ended up being seduced by an elderly Aberdeen gentleman on a fishing holiday. <laughs> Graham resisted evidently, but was well pissed and woke me about one o'clock in the morning, banging on my door, saying he was Ethel the Kaiser. (laughs) On Monday night, he woke me again, and just after I dropped off, I heard him in his room saying he was Betty Marsden, very loudly and in a variety of silly ways. On Tuesday, he was kind enough to be content with putting a note under my door with Best Wishes Betty Marsden written on it. (laughs) Poor Graham. Yeah, yeah, he did not have a happy life, I think. And he was the first one of them to go.
0: Mm. Wait, he's uh, still the only one of them to go, isn't he?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the I think all the others are alive, although I don't know about Terry Jones. I don't think he's in oh, very no, good shape. Yeah,
0: Terry Jones might oh. have died. I think he had dementia, which was really sad.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, the movie's abrupt ending, which we'll talk about later, came about because they just didn't have the budget for a large-scale battle sequence. <laughs> they almost did because yeah. we see most of it. Yeah, this is very unusually for a Monty Python feature. All but one of the female roles are actually played by women. Mm. The only the only one who isn't is Dennis's mother, played by Terry Jones. You know, Dennis, there's some lovely filth down here. Oh, it's supposed to be his mother. Yeah, apparently. Oh. Okay.
0: Old woman. Uh, man. No, oh, sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah, isn't Carol Cleveland? She does uh, Zoot, doesn't she?
1: Uh, yeah, uh, I believe it's Carol Cleveland and uh, Connie Booth is in there also. She's the witch. Connie oh. Booth, by the way, was the at the time Mrs. John Cleese.
0: Right, and she would go on to be in Faulty Towers as well.
1: Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a bunch, in a number of the scenes, we get monks chanting "Pie, pie <laughs> su Domine, dona requiem." which translates yeah (laughs) and then hitting themselves in the face uh this translates as merciful lord jesus grant them rest it's part of the standard latin funeral rite the german heavy metal band blind guardian sampled this on the opening track of their album follow the blind (laughs) are you sure isn't the blind with lots of umlauts and slashes and stuff i'm sure it was uh Arthur's army at the end of the movie was made up entirely of 175 students shot from various angles to make it look like there were twice as many from Scotland's University of Stirling. According to a casting call sent to the school by the production, each student was paid two pounds sterling and got free transportation food and, quote, an abundance of crazy antics for a single day's work.
0: Huh. So they shot that whole thing in one day. Apparently, huh? I guess That's I'm not surprised. They, say. Mm. they were lucky; it was uh, sunny. Well, sunny.
1: Botter, yeah, as sunny as it gets in that part of Scotland. It was bright yes. out. <laughs> John Cleese cop uh, joke that, "Yes, you know, it's, the weather is always like that, except for two weeks in September."
0: Yeah.
1: It made its American television debut on CBS on a late movie showing in February 1977. Supposedly, the Pythons were very unhappy to found out, find out that the network had heavily edited the movie. Of course they did. To, to omit profanity and graphic elements. As a result, the Pythons managed to take back control of the American TV rights and sold them to PBS.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah, and later for commercial syndication, resulting in a pretty much unedited television showing of the movie.
0: Oh yeah, PBS never had any problem. I remember growing up with Monty Python and they were bare breasts all the time. Didn't, didn't
1: yeah. matter. Uh, one of the other big problems is uh, two weeks before the location shooting was scheduled to begin, the Scottish Department of the Environment withdrew permission for the Pythons to shoot within their castles, uh. saying that the script would be, quote, incompatible with the history and fabric of the castles. <laughs> yeah. I bet it wouldn't. <laughs> so as as a result, the interior of Camelot Castle Swamp Castle and the exteriors of Castle Anthrax, the French Castle, and the opening castle were all shot at Dune Castle, with various rooms redecorated and reused. Re- recently rebuilt Castle Stalker was used for the Castle Ah! Uh, both of these were privately owned and could be used.
0: Well, we've seen Castle Stalker. Mm-hmm. We drove by it. Uh, I the, I believe it's also the same castle used in the flashback sequences of Highlander.
1: Oh, okay, I didn't know that. Yeah, uh, the Constitutional Peasants' Castle. You know, <laughs> so we don't have a lord. <laughs> and Camelot, the exterior, are both ten foot high plywood models. <laughs> That's why Patsy says it's only a model, <laughs> which had a tendency to blow over in the middle of each take. <laughs> The trailer for this movie has an in-joke that doesn't show up in the movie with King Arthur knighting someone who has just built a large castle, but when the plywood building falls over, Arthur stabs him. Uh, And just because I always wondered, if anyone is is curious, the airspeed velocity of an unladen (laughs) swallow... At least the European swallow is t- about 24 miles an hour. No one has ever clocked the South African swallow.
0: Well, that would never carry a
1: coconut. And the capital of Assyria, there were actually four. <laughs> Ash- Ashur, Kalah, Dur-Sharrukin and Nineveh. All uh, four of those, the ruins of all four of those cities are now in modern-day Iraq. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And now we come to the plot. Good luck. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sorry. The plot of the movie is not really that important. No. It's basically a comic take on the centuries-old Grail quest story from the Arthurian legends which stretch back about a thousand years. Sort of. (laughs) Yeah, kind of. Basically, King Arthur and his knights are charged by God to find the Holy Grail so they may be an example in these dark times. The Holy Grail, just in case you forgot, is a major icon in Christian mythography, allegedly being the cup that Jesus drank from at the Last Supper and was subsequently used to catch his blood during the crucifixion. None of that has anything to do with the movie. Not It's basically an excuse for a bunch of hilarious sketches set in medieval times. That's pretty much it.
0: Yeah. The Lowdown. There is no point... Detailing the quote-unquote plot any nope. further, um, yeah. So, uh, do you? I don't know if it's even necessary, but do you have any history on Monty Python for the for the nice listeners? Not,
1: not really. There, there's so much and it's so rich, and a lot of people already know a lot of it. Really, look it up if you haven't. If you've never seen the TV show, it's worth watching.
0: I don't think there's anything more iconic in British
1: comedy than well, that sadly, there's Benny Hill, but.
0: Yes, yes yeah. there is <laughs> um, And we've discussed no, him because he showed up in a movie that we watched uh, Yes, yes, that's right He was bang. the toy
1: maker, yep Yeah, yep.
0: the toy maker, yeah Come this way, Mr. Potts um, Yeah, so if you haven't seen Monty Python Heck, you could start here, honestly Yeah,
1: it's, seriously
0: It's there, It's them at their best um, About the only thing they're not really skewering is current politics They still skewer no. politics Yep, but uh, they would take on anything. Um,
1: they would. That nothing was safe from them. So the, the only pro- some of the one of the problems with well, at least when I was a kid watching the show is there were a lot of British references I didn't get. They would make fun of certain uh, uh, British celebrities. You know, Robin Day's got a hedgehog named Frank. No, he I'm doesn't. Like, who, who's, <laughs> who's, who's who's Robin Day? <laughs> I didn't know who a lot of these people were. Reginald Maudling's elbow. Yep, it doesn't matter. No. It really doesn't. It it just works. Did you watch this, this when you were a kid? I watched it the year it came out. I saw when I was I, when I was a teenager or a preteen or some such. No,
0: no, 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 the show. Hmm.
1: Oh, the show! Yes, I did. Me too. I I was like, watch on channel two on PBS,
0: (laughs) and we're like watching this, and I didn't get like there was boobs too, you know. Yes, they were naked
1: women. I was like, what the heck? Symbol to thousands of naked women, women. bocce balls, (laughs) bocce balls.
0: Yeah, it's just we. My my parents didn't care. My parents were actually, I don't, I wouldn't say closet Anglophiles, but they were definitely. people who liked British culture they went to London in 1972 as one of their trips um, but I remember watching the show as a little kid I was seven and eight years old watching Mighty Python and I didn't get it always but I thought it was funny yeah
1: I, I love when I was a kid yeah again I missed a lot of it but like oh look cartoons <laughs> yeah <laughs> sort of you know you know Terry yeah. Gilliam's weird anim- cutout animation
0: now 75 would have been for me too early to go see it in the theater um, when was the first time you saw it?
1: Uh, I saw it in seventy five.
0: Oh my god! Did your yeah. parents take you?
1: My mother took me.
0: Did she stay for it? Or did she just drop you off?
1: Nope, she stayed, and we were both howling. <laughs> I still remember just looking, watching, watching the credits, <laughs> and, and the credits are friggin' brilliant. That is a comic event in and of itself. Honestly, they could have stopped at the credits, and I would have been satisfied.
0: Moose bites can be pretty nasty. <laughs>
1: nasty. I act that One of the things this time is yep. the only time I've ever done it is I paused the movie to I- read the lengthy, pic- thing, the last of the big uh, Swedish things. And I have
0: it here. I transcribed it. I only missed the last like phrase i was able to read yeah. it the whole way because every time i've seen it it's been in a theater and there's been like a, a splice or it's just bad but go ahead
1: yep yeah it's uh you know it starts off with why not try a holiday in Sweden <laughs> there's this weird sort of boor- Swedish board of tourism uh subtitles in in pseudo-Swedish and <laughs> at the la- the second to last one is a moose once bit my sister no really at <laughs> and- And then it says, No, really, she was carving her initials on the moose with the sharpened end of an interspace toothbrush given to her by Svenge, her brother-in-law, an Oslo dentist and star of many Norwegian movies, The Hot Hands of an Oslo Dentist, Fillings of Passion, and The Huge Molars of Horst Nordink. (laughs) That, and then the last one, of course, the next Mind you, moose bites can be pretty nasty.
0: I think the farthest I was ever able to get in the theater was uh, no, really. She was carving her initials in the moose with a sharp, and that's as far as and, they would go on to the next. Credit. I
1: saw. I remember. I, I I could jump ahead and I saw something about a dentist, but that was about it. A dentist, and then the moose. <laughs> then the moose jokes actually become part of the credits. Right. You know, moose, antler care by, <laughs> and then they splice in this weird Mexican music <laughs> and it's all about llamas. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I read.
0: I think it was in Stephen, one of Stephen Fry's autobiographies. He's written three so far, um, and he talked about the Pythons because he, of course, was a good deal later than they were at school, and he said specifically, and I wish I could remember who was who, that there was a distinct camp because they went, most of them went to one school or another, and that was Cambridge and Oxford, and that the type of humor. You could tell, oh, that must have been written by so and so because that's a more Cambridge-style humor, and that was written by so and so because it's a more Oxford-style humor. Um, and I know one side is the more, what's the word I want? Farcical, more the the more out left field, crazy, uh, absurdist kind of humor, and the other is the more, you know, like the argument clinic, <laughs> where it's a little bit more, yeah. you know, structured humor. Um, mm-hmm. And there's plenty of both of them in, in this film. Uh, the, oh, yeah. The rabbit is just like, what... <laughs>
1: I remember, as a kid, especially being so really surprised and kind of shocked at how bloody this movie is.
0: It is, but it's the funny part about it is that none of it is in any way really believable.
1: Like, no, it's all you know. The color of the blood is wrong, but like when the black knight throws his sword through the visor of the green knight and blood comes spurting out. I, when I was a kid, I was like, Whoa, "What the hell?" I know, but it comes spurting out once. Yes, <laughs> and when they cut off an arm, it spurts. Once. Yes, there's a little, you know, blip, and that's it.
0: <laughs> and then, like where the stump is, it's just sort of this massive, like black and brown and stuff. There's no like bone or anything. It's just like they don't even try because you know that's not the point. You know, you don't want don't, they'll, they'll do that later when they do things mm-hmm. like Mister Creosote and you know.
1: Oh lord. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They get they get way more into it than things like Meaning of Life. This, by the way, Holy Grail was not their favorite movie.
0: I know they, they, thought they, they it's, it's, it's the Life of Brian, right?
1: Yeah, Life of Brian is the one that the most proud of. And I can kind of understand that. Life of Brian is more daring. It's got a more coherent plot. They got into a lot more trouble. Got in a lot more trouble. Yeah. And it's very funny. But for just laugh, it's not... I, this just, I think, gives you more laughs. There are more jokes in this than in Life of Brian.
0: I agree. I, I thought Life of Brian was funny, and it has its moments... Uh, she did.
1: She, he did. He
0: did. You know. <laughs> I, I honestly think that as a whole, this holds together better. Even though, if you really want to come right down to it, this is really nothing more than a series of skits. It's them doing mm-hmm. the show, but they just all happen to be around one
1: theme. Um, Oddly enough, though, this fits with the Arthurian cycle. Most of the uh, Arthurian the stories of King Arthur, and this goes back when, when they, they show the date at the beginning, nine thirty two A D. Yeah. It goes back even further than that. Yeah, it's There's like Arthur
0: and fifth century, isn't it?
1: Yep. That and you understand that King Arthur. There have been about eight guys who could have been King Arthur. Right. Or it go- none of. It them. Goes o- or none. Nobody's really sure if it was Arturus or Arthur or Tereus or any of these guys. But it's such a huge part of English culture. It's it's etched into the into their uh, their literature everything. And a lot of the Arthurian stories, at least of the more modern ones, you know, Mallory and Tennyson and even T.H. White, that's what they're little individual stories about individual knights or groups of knights going out and doing stuff and then going home. (laughs) Without the grail. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I like the way... They they know their stuff. They most of the knights' names, with the exception of Sir Robin, <laughs> are all from the Arthurian stories. You know, Hector, Bors, Lancelot—those are all real guys. Well, Bors, real. Bors
0: has one scene, and he's only there yes. to get eaten by the rabbit.
1: <laughs> yeah, but he was in the. He's you know an Arthurian ca- character.
0: Yeah. Um, do you? I have you ever been a big uh, devotee, as it were, of Arthurian legend?
1: I've read a bunch of them. I've read Mallory, Tennyson, T.H. White. I, I didn't go back and read the stuff in, like, Old English. Or
0: Did, Do they ever uh, actually find the Grail?
1: Uh, there are a couple of different versions. you got to remember, the Grail cycle has been rewritten a bunch of times. In one version, yes. Actually, no, in two versions they find it, but it's never brought out. Uh, in one, Sir Galahad finds it, and another, Sir Parsifal finds it. And they stay and become guardians of the Grail. They don't bring it back to Arthur because they realize the Grail isn't meant to be brought out uh, to the world of men.
0: They stole Those that are the from virgin- Indiana Jones.
1: <laughs> yes. Yes, that's exactly what happened. They stole it from Indiana Jones. See? <sighs> yeah. Now, there may be other versions. I'm not sure. I mean, excuse if, if we've seen Excalibur, we, you, you know I think somebody actually brings the cup to him and makes him drink from it. That doesn't happen, I think, in the Arthurian cycle. I may be wrong. Folks, if I am, if any, any uh, Grail scholars out there know this story, let me know.
0: Uh, anyone named Halbwitz who might know something about that?
1: Ah, yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, which reminds me, I left out all the business. Oh,
0: yes. Well, uh, you That's know, right. it's fine. It's fine. We'll, we'll mention at the end.
1: Yeah. Okay.
0: Uh. Yeah. I, I always wondered about that because it's like, well, the, this Grail is such an amazing thing. Oh, they f- if they find it, then what happens? You know, because we still don't know where it is supposedly, or the uh, Ark of the Covenant and other
1: Indiana <laughs> Jones films. <laughs> yeah. 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 The the idea is the Grail is something that is to be sought but never actually found. That's kind of the the message of it. Yeah. It's the you know it's the journey it's the journey not the destination. It's the idea is to to reach the to people to reach the Grail you have to be Truly pure and good and saint like, and uh, no one, pretty much no one except these two mutant freaks, Parsifal and Galahad, who are kind of really not very interesting characters that I read because they are so pure and good, right? You know, dull, (laughs) yeah. That's that was the thing with Lancelot, also, that I kind of like that they brought into this. Is and I am sorry, yes, this is my opinion. I, I'm sure no, no other, the Arthurian legends I've read, I'm sure they don't mean to emphasize this. Lancelot is a moron. <laughs> he is so dumb. My yeah. God, in, in Mallory, someone actually, he's trying to fight, and he actually fools him by literally doing a version of, hey, look behind you. Oh,
0: is that the one where he drops his weapon and goes, you can't attack me, you can't kill nah, me because I'm unarmed?
1: That, no, that comes later. But oh. yeah, it's basically he says, the line is, Look, Sir Lancelot, yonder come men of armies riding, riding toward, toward us. And Lancelot turns around to look. Huh? Yeah, Yo, literally. The winning victory of Tha- <laughs> he would, If they had had shoelaces, he would have fallen for the dude. Your shoelace is totally <laughs> untied. Yeah, then the guy, he, he's been trying to murder this woman. He ha- hacks her head off. Lancelot turns around. That's when the part you're talking about happens. The guy, he says, Ooh, I'll do you for that. In fact, <laughs> And the the knight drops his sword and says, No, no, and drops to his knees and says, Please don't kill me. And because of the code of chivalry, he can't. Lancelot can't kill him. And he goes, Get up, I tell you what, I'll I'll, I'll fight you without my armor. It's like, no. Like, I'll, I'll fight you without my sword, I'll just use a knife. No, you're friggin' Sir Lancelot, you'll kill me. And Lancelot has absolutely no idea what to do. <laughs> so he delegates, he said, Fine, we're gonna take you to the to the back to Camelot and some smart person will figure out something to do.
0: <laughs> so you're basically saying in D&D terms that uh, Sir Lancelot is lawful dumb.
1: <laughs> yeah, lawful dumb. High, Very high strength and con. Very low intelligence and wisdom.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, dumb as a
1: bag of hammers.
0: Interestingly, we get through the entire Arthurian cycle, more or less, without Guinevere. Um, there's not even an yeah. attempt. Like, there's no hint of Guinevere in the nope. entire story. Nope,
1: there's, nope, there is not. There's no hint of really any of the women in the Arthurian story. There's no Vivian or Nimue. There's, there's no uh, Il- Elaine or Igraine. There's none of them.
0: Yeah, Guinevere, or as I like to call her, the Yoko Ono of the Arthurian <laughs> story.
1: Hey, hey, that's not, that's not fair. It wasn't her fault.
0: <laughs> I know, but... You know, it's British, so you have to. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a law. So I don't know about, you know, I know you s- used to see this in the same place I used to see it, which was the Harvard mm-hmm. Square Theater, which oh uh, yes, something that's totally gone these days for the most part, which was a theater that had a repertoire. That's my French. Um, in that, <laughs> Very impressive. In this particular case, I don't know if there's been another theater like this. They would change their lineup, their daily double feature, literally every day. And yeah. you would, I think this used to pair with uh, Life of Brian, didn't it?
1: It did. Yeah. Now, they changed it every day, but they had a certain set that they cycled through. Right. You would get like three James Bond movies or three Marx Brothers movies or yep. a double feature of, uh, or two Monty Pythons. Yeah, no, that that is where I saw most of it. Good. I saw it in theaters in many other places, though. I saw it in Philadelphia. I saw it in Minnesota.
0: Yeah, this was a, a rite of passage in our D&D group in high school. It's like, no, 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 you have to go see this. So that's how I first saw it. Was, you know, you all dragged me to it oh, and I okay. saw it numbers of times. Oh yeah, I'd never heard of it until high school. Um and this is kind of a cornerstone, a beginning of what would become nerd culture. <laughs>
1: Because well, I don't know if it's a beginning, but it is a massive piece of nerd culture. It
0: is Monty Python in general, but Holy Grail because it's basically D and D and Monty Python. So it,
1: yeah, it kind of is, and oh Lord, it you, is so much a part of of geek culture of yeah. of sci fi fantasy geek cu- cu- culture. Being able to quote the whole when people say quoting Monty Python, they almost always mean that movie or part of some it. some people
0: mm-hmm. yeah i mean we were we were doing it when we were in britain do you remember that in star wars we were doing bits of star wars and monty python in actually i think we were in uh not edinburgh glasgow
1: yeah they and, must have thought we were such prats
0: <laughs> well that's the thing is that at the time and this is like for us this would have been like you know the early mid 80s it was like you if you couldn't quote monty python you you weren't quote-unquote cool, and of course by cool I mean well, cool. Nerd, nerdly and nobody would talk to you. Um, yeah,
1: but, yeah, but that that was our one thing. We thought that being able to quote Monty Python was made up for the fact that we couldn't play sports or dress properly.
0: <laughs> we won't talk about the acne or the body odor, but you know. Nope, nope, uh, nope. So the, but the thing is is that I will give us and people like us some credit. We memorized it by having seen it once in a while or a couple of times in a theater. Yeah. We didn't have any way of looking up the script, you know, or, or, you know, bringing it up on our, our telephone devices or (laughs) things like that. You know, we would see these things and sometimes we wouldn't see them for decades. We just had to hold that piece of memory, you know, in our 64K (laughs) in our head. (laughs) Uh,
1: There was a period in my life that I had the entire movie from start to finish memorized and I still can remember at least ninety percent of it, which makes it really hard to watch. Yeah, I found myself doing this when I was watching it last night. I start saying the dialogue with the characters. I have to stop myself, but this actually <laughs> my great nerd moment. Can I can I talk about this with Monty Python? It's up to you. <laughs> this is about as nerdy as you can get. This was when I went to Gen Con. Uh. You, man, uh, right this was right after high school uh Gencon is one of the biggest gaming conventions in uh, the country, possibly in the world. This was back when it was not that big, <laughs> and by the biggest there were fifteen hundred people, yeah, by contrast, now it's fifty thousand yeah. but uh I went and I loved it you know this was one of the I'd never seen this many of my people in one place. <laughs> It's like, wow. Yeah, if only look you hadn't gone longer, saying, let
0: my people go.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. I was trying to lead them out of Wisconsin. Yeah. Go <laughs> no, ahead, I'm sorry. But uh, uh, we were staying in Racine, and there was a shuttle that would go back between the uh, University of Wisconsin Madison, which is where Gen Con was at the time. And where were we staying? <laughs> we were staying at the YMCA. Because we love it at the. The YMCA. Yep. Yep. It, it, it was great. It was it was unbelievably cheap. It was like $4 a night or something like it, that. It was insane. It was yeah. like pocket change. <laughs> and they had a shuttle, that a bus, literal school bus, that would run from right from in front of the YMCA, incredibly handy, to Gen Con. Well, one night we were coming back at like 9 or 10 at night when they finally throw everyone out. <laughs> we we're on the bus and we come to a railroad crossing and this massive freight train is going by and this is one of the ones they're like five miles long and they're not going that fast and the driver said we're going to be here a while and somebody all these conversations start up and I overheard somebody quote quote the holy grail or excuse me misquote Misquote. (laughs) and of course being the pedantic smug little nerd that I was I corrected him and the guy said, "Really, that's how it is?" And I said, "Well, yeah." And I proceeded to recite the entire scene. Yeah, and I, hit, they, I, I hit in the dark. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And but what got what amazed me then was there was this moment of silence, and then someone else yelled out, "Do the Black Knight scene!" <laughs> and I did. And they started yelling out their scenes <laughs> because there was nothing else to do. And I stood there reciting every scene word for word that they called out, and I got well a sitting ovation for it. <laughs> that is my rock, That is my nerd rock star moment.
0: Max got a sitting ovation in the short bus of nerd
1: culture. <laughs> yep. Hey, this was a full size bus. Thank you uh, very much. Yeah. I'm sure you remember it that way. Uh,
0: <laughs> what amazed me is like all the people who were staying at the Y. We never saw any of them until we got to the no. bus. Like I, we went. There was one bathroom every other floor, and it was a bathroom with showers and everything. I never saw anyone in there when I came and went from my room. Nothing. The only person I ever saw was Max, and he was next door to oh. me.
1: Yeah, um, it was it was creepy. The place was like it was abandoned, and we knew there were like thirty guys staying there.
0: Yeah, yeah, all guys because there's a big all place.
1: guys. <laughs> this was back when there were we'd go to Gen Con, and it was like, huh, that's a strange looking fellow with the long, with the long hair. Or the that's a girl. Long
0: girl. I mean, to be fair, it was the YMCA, so that's to be yeah. Expected. But I mean,
1: even Gen Con itself was pretty much was. Guys, there were a few women, but not many. Yeah.
0: So, you know, we obviously went way off track, but, you know, this way is off track. this is one of the reasons why this film has stayed pressed in the photo album of our hearts. Oh, uh, <laughs> it is still funny, though. Uh, I was worried a little bit because I've not seen it in a long time. And I want to yeah. say that this is the first time I have seen it outside of theater either, which means that the last time I saw this was sometime in the 80s um, oh. and it would have would have been at the Harvard Square Theater. And one of the things I noted, my first um, note, was that this was the nicest print I've ever seen of this film. Because <laughs> the one they had yes. for Harvard Square, would, they'd show it, and then it would go to the other repertoire houses and then come back. So we always got the same print. It would just get worse. Um, and chunks would be taken out. That being said... There was one chunk in this film I have never seen before.
1: Yeah, this is a deleted scene that was never shown in the theaters. It is oh. only on the DVD, and that is a scene in Castle Anthrax, yes. right? yep, yep, yep. Where Zoot turns to the camera and breaks the fourth wall and says, "How do you think this scene is going well? I wasn't sure about it when the boys wrote it, <laughs> and everyone's yelling at her to get on with it. Right. Yeah, that is the first I had heard of this scene. I didn't know it was part of this print. I was like, oh,
0: I probably just don't remember it because I haven't seen it as many times as you. But it's like, you know, because they actually made an album of this and like all the best bits are on the album. Um, It's a (laughs) very strange way to experience a film on LP, especially because back then you could record about 15 minutes a side. So an hour and a half movie was watered down to a half an hour. Um, But I was like, I don't remember this scene. And I, I definitely would have remembered the cartooned God coming in more than once, because he shows up and goes, get on with it, just like everyone else. Yep. So I'm glad to yeah. know that that was, that was that was right about that, that it was not in the Prince I'd seen, or Prince. There
1: were a number of scenes that were written. They were scripted, but they were never shot. They were supposed to be in the movie. There's supposed to be a whole sequence where they meet King Brian the Wild, who wants to force everyone to sing close harmony. Okay. And after they cross the Bridge of Death, they run into the boatkeeper at the Sea of Fate, who says, he who would cross the Sea of Fate must answer these questions 20 and 8. <laughs> and Bedivere and Arthur pick him up and throw him into the water. <laughs> uh, and apparently Arthur and his knights end up finding the Holy Grail at London's famous Harrods Department Store. <laughs> yeah. Which we've been to and is quite large. Is very large and I wouldn't be surprised if they have a grail section. <laughs> And they can mail it home for you A uh, uh, little thing also on the history At one point when they're introducing the knights And we find out that Sir Robin Had personally wet himself <laughs> at the Battle of Baden Hill Yeah That is a real historical battle That was a major victory where the Britons Stopped the encroachment of the Anglo-Saxons For a while Yeah, uh, The problem is We know this movie takes place in 932 And this battle probably took place In the 5th or 6th century
0: uh, Robin looks really good for his age
1: Apparently, he is the eternal coward. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh,
0: I will say there was one film goof that I picked up, never noticed it before. Uh, It's Uh near the end of the film. uh, We're at Castle Arg, which is funny, and they actually do show you this, but we see, um, this is after they've gone through the Bridge of Death, they get in a boat to get to this castle, which... We knew, because we've seen it, and I'd forgotten it's shown in the film, is actually attached to the land, so you can yeah. walk there. But whatever. Yeah. But they've gone and talked to the French guys, because uh, the French... Oh, no, I've they, given away they, a spoiler there, the French guys. They walk
1: it. back. They uh, don't need the boat.
0: <laughs> as they're walking towards the camera when they've got to shore, and they look both look really bedraggled and unhappy, which they probably were, in the foreground is a motorboat. Oh, I missed that. <laughs> Which kind of like uh, this is a film goof, or because the cops are about to show up, it kind of doesn't matter. Like you know, who cares? Um, it's just in the very bottom of this of the frame, um, but you can see there's a there's a, a, a I don't know if it's an Evan Rude, but it's a definitely an outboard motorboat just sitting there. Um, probably had to ferry them out a little way so they could walk back. I don't know, but you know, it's it doesn't <laughs> it doesn't break the wall of the film because they do that themselves.
1: The guy who wrote the songs, Neil Innes, is actually in the movie in a couple of scenes. Is he the cop He's at the end? Th- uh, no, oh. that was those were actual cops. Oh, <laughs> yeah, they actually got they got him to bring a car over. No, he is the singing minstrel, They're bravely <laughs> Sir Robin, that's him, and he is the um, steed or whatever the the helper who gets the the wooden rabbit dropped on him. Ah, uh, okay. Neil Innes, uh, who I think we've also lost fairly recently, he wrote a lot of the music for for uh, Monty Python. He also uh, was the inspiration with him and Eric Idle for the Ruttles. Ah, uh, if you ever want to check that out, there, that's they're pretty funny. A legend to last a lifetime. Um, lunchtime? Is that what that was? Exactly.
0: <laughs> it was a, a spoof on the Beatles. Uh, and I think it was mm-hmm. Eric Idle's thing, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, he, he he set it up, and it was done. Uh, it, they did a special that was in the it's sort of in the style of Meet the Beatles.
0: Oh, yes,
1: that's right. That's right. Or their famous song, "All You Need Is Cash."
0: Yeah, I mean it's a spoof. Um Yeah, did it come after um Spinal Tap? I think it did.
1: Oh, I actually think it came before. Oh, I think it might be older because. It was when the people were letting the Monty Python guys try whatever they wanted. Mm,
0: And with some varying levels of success. Yeah,
1: Uh, yeah, Jabberwocky.
0: I never saw Jabberwocky, but I did see
1: Yellowbeard, Uh, which was not great. Um, That wasn't really Monty Python. There were a couple of Pythons in it, but that was another production company.
0: um, One that I liked, but which was not great. I only really like it for one aspect of it, and that was a film called... um, Oh, what the... uh, What is... uh, No... Wasn't Yellowbeer. What was I just want to add? Something Eric the Viking. Eric the Viking?
1: Oh yeah. yeah. That wasn't a that wasn't a Monty Python I, film, was it? Yeah,
0: I think Terry Jones directed it. Oh, it was. It. Um, oh, okay. I, I think that the other pythons were there might have been one Python in it.
1: Um, yeah, Terry Jones is in it, I think. Maybe Eric Idle, too.
0: But one of the things I loved about it, which made so much sense, is it's all taking place during Viking times and stuff, and one of the Vikings is trying to, you know, uh, do things for thor and odin and all that stuff and go to valhalla blah 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 well we actually go to valhalla and he gets there and he's trying to ask for help to do something i honestly i saw it once when it came out Mm. and he gets there and it's of course it's not valhalla that's where the heroes go wherever the 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 hall that the uh Asgard. asgard thanks and all of the the norse gods are little kids
1: Oh, that's right. And it made
0: total sense because they all have temper tantrums, and they don't want to answer to anybody, <laughs> and they they're playing badly with each other, and all of it made total sense. It's like, wow, yeah. what if the gods were children? That that's why they're like, I will smote you, you know that that's why because they they don't like rules and they don't like to play with each other. Yeah, that fits. Um, otherwise, it was a fairly unremarkable film.
1: This, yeah, this movie. I mean, heck, in the book, Ready Player One. Yeah. One of the one of the challenges
0: yeah.
1: is to is to be basically become part of the Monty Python and the Holy Grail movie, and you have to know all of the dialogue and the whole plot. Right. As you say, this is a cornerstone, a keystone yeah. of nerd culture. Yeah. Uh, and yes, I think the humor still stands, still holds up. Oh, we haven't got to that part yet, but okay, true. <laughs> uh, the me. performance. One of the things I really like about this movie, just in terms of the historical, is it really gives you an idea. It doesn't try to clean up the medieval period. It shows you how (laughs) filthy and disgusting it really must have been. I mean, that famous line. Who's that then? Must be a king. How do you know? He doesn't have all over him.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and it's when i remember seeing it because we had films that came out later than this we had uh, excalibur for example and everyone's bright and shiny in excalibur
1: oh. <laughs> yeah um, it's so clean
0: but even films like dragon Slayer, and we did this whole series on D way back hey kids yeah. go look it up on maxmikemovies.com um this is the first and one of the only movies that makes things look dirty and disgusting um there's the old lady that they go and say need to and she her face is covered with boils yeah. um I think yeah the
1: old crone by the way that that phrase old crone yeah. that was a title during the Crusades the English knights would basically take old women with them to do the cooking and the cleaning and and the the bandaging and they were not it was not always um voluntary uh, most of them in fact didn't come back yeah but they were called. they said you know they would be listed in the in the roles as old crone oh good I have a title <laughs> yeah
0: um it's also like for those of us who play D, and it seems like oh fun and adventure it's like yeah and you have to carry all this junk and it's probably wet a lot of the time and it's just uncomfortable and nasty there's probably rashes and funguses and all sorts of when other-
1: galahad when galahad reaches the castle anthrax and it's been raining he's a mess yeah and he's mud stained, and he's hurt, and he—it's like, yeah, that I absolutely believe that. That looks very realistic. That's your
0: adventurer right there. Yeah. Yep. Um, this is—I will say—I've uh, said this before, and, and and I've been right at the time, but this is definitely the fewest number of notes I have ever taken on one of the movies. There's just not much you need to point out, right? It's—you're just supposed to sit there and enjoy it. It's not the- deep. <laughs>
1: The one part I will say about this movie that is that always bothered me when I was younger, uh-huh. and I've gotten, gotten used to it, is the ending. Really? It's Yeah, the ending, which again, in theory, is really funny. It's It was such, to, as a kid, it was such a letdown. They have that incredible preparing for battle scene, yep. and then it just stops.
0: I do wonder if it wasn't a budgetary concern.
1: It was definitely a budget thing. They were literally running out of money. Yeah. And they couldn't afford a battle scene. And who? what would a battle scene have
0: done? Like,
1: I don't know, but I, I have no idea how else they could have ended it. Right. I just remember feeling really disappointed, and it's very jarring when you have these medieval knights, and suddenly a modern police car drives up, and they're arrested for the murder of a historian that happens <laughs> in the first 15 minutes of the movie, which, again... <laughs> when you think of it is brilliant but is i don't know it was just weird for me I, it bothered me when i was younger and I, I i've come to appreciate the the level of absurdity but it's still awkward it is i guess it is a little awkward um
0: i've no, also something i've never done strangely there are no end credits Uh, Yeah, none. They
1: show all the credits at the beginning.
0: And I I didn't know if that was actually true or just that our print at the Harvard Square Theatre just sort of cut out. So I was like, I'm going to watch the whole thing. And it's just that organ piece over black over and over and over again. I watched the whole thing uh, this morning and wanted to make sure in case there was something hidden and there's not even a little copyright... Python-Monty Pictures, 1975 at the end. Nothing. Nope.
1: Nope. Just black. Time to leave. Nope.
0: <laughs> Although I do appreciate that intermission because I really needed that 10 minutes. Uh, oh, yeah. Or, or 20 seconds. Um, 20 seconds, yes. and Like, literally 10 minutes before the film's over, there's an intermission, sort of. Um,
1: <laughs>
0: but uh, I think we're uh, we're at that point. Just a,
1: I just wanted to ask you, what's oh. your favorite sk- scene in there?
0: Oh, dear gods. I don't yeah. know. I mean...
1: I know there is so. It's hard to choose. I mean, the
0: Black Knight is hilarious. I love yeah. the logic scene of the witch, especially because oh, and I forget yes. to mention this, there's a one guy in the background who's got shaving cream on for no reason at all. Yeah, and that's one of the things about this film is there's always somebody or somebody's in the background doing weird ass crap for no reason. There are multiple yeah. people smashing cats against the wall. Yeah. Sometimes <laughs> they no have reason, sound just... effects. Sometimes they don't. Um, there are
1: nuns with huge mallets pounding something you can't see. There's
0: one guy, he's walking, one of the nights, I don't remember which one, is walking by a stream and there's a guy hitting the water with yep. a stick.
1: <laughs> yep, like maybe he's fishing, we don't know. No,
0: I think he's just hitting the water. It's the, like, hey, yeah. peasants the, were the, the, witch,
1: <laughs> the witch scene is one of my favorites because it's this great, in, it seems to be this indictment of both mob mentality and painfully flawed logic. Yeah. And there's even the little throwaway where Bedivere, at the very beginning, is trying to tie a coconut to a bird. <laughs> and the poor which, thing, you know, just fell. Just falls, which, yeah. which is a, a callback to the opening scene. And the thing is, it works. Yeah. You know, the, well, the witch does weigh the same as a duck, and she even says, it's a fair cup. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, you got me.
0: I would say that of all the bits, the one that kind of works the least well, and it's still not not working, is the one that has the least pythons in it, and that's the uh, Zoot Castle one. And it's like, it's okay, but it takes too long for them to get to the point where he totally changes his mind and goes, oh, no, 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 I'm chased! I'm chased!" there's nothing wrong with that. And two is like, well, couldn't I stay and face a little peril?
1: God, I have a bit of peril. No, no, it's unhealthy. (laughs) I bet you're gay. No, I'm not. (laughs) Um, Which, by the way, the 2006 musical Spamalot expands on quite a bit yeah sadly play, play. Hmm?
0: i don't remember it that well you have probably listened to it more than i it's the yeah. one and only broadway show i've ever been to um i'll go ahead and say this is you had your nerd moment this is my nerd moment yep. um sure. a bunch of friends and i got together in new york city new york city um to Get see a, rope. a to see a star wars film and we'll come back to that but i'm not going to tell you why um but we went to see the last, what we hoped was the last Star Wars movie, <laughs> which was 2006's, um, uh, not Attack of the Clones yet, the Revenge of the Sith. And, uh, it turns out that the wife of one of my high school buddies, his name is Nick, her name is Julie. Julie used to know Harry Shearer. Harry Shearer is friends with Eric Idle, who is the one behind the Broadwoodization of this movie into Spamalot. And so she called Harry, and Harry called Eric and said, Hey, there's friends of friends of ours in town. Can you get them some decent tickets? Now, we didn't get them for free. We paid for them. But it was original cast excluding Hank Azaria. That's the only one who was missing. So it had David Hyde Pierce. Wow. And it had um, uh, Rocky. Tim Curry. Tim Curry. Oh, wow. Sixth row center matinee oh! seats for Spamalot. Oh, my God. I know. It's, it is my... I- Crowning saw, achievement.
1: I've seen the touring company, you know, in Boston, yeah. but I've never seen that. I would have loved to see the original cast.
0: Yeah, Tim Curry basically uh, plays the Graham Chapman King part. That's mostly what he does. David Hyde Pierce plays many parts,
1: <laughs> as do all of them. Yeah, uh, Graham Chapman in the movie only plays three parts. Oh, what's he's, the third he one? He has the fewest. He's a guard. Uh, he he's a guard, and he he is one of the three-headed knights. Oh, that's right. He's, he's he, one. He's the middle. the middle head of the three-headed knight, and he's of course. Uh, King Arthur.
0: Right. But we can wait no longer. We must yeah, come back to I'm the afraid end of so. this episode and Yep. The Roundup. So Max, mm. you haven't seen this in how long?
1: Oh boy. I don't it's hard for me to say because that this movie and I, I, I know how this sounds, this movie is always with me. Mm. This movie is etched into me. <laughs> I fell in love with it the first time I saw it. I, I, never, I never get tired of it. Nerd! I Yeah, <laughs> huge nerd. I think the last time I saw it was maybe 20 years ago. Okay. And it still works. It's still really funny. I, the problem is it's so enmeshed in, the, in Internet culture and such. There are so many memes. Yep. People who haven't seen it are already tired of it. Yeah. I think it's very hard to see this one uh, for, for a younger audience. I'm not sure. But uh, I, I, it's so worth it. I don't know what else to say. I love this movie. Well, <clears throat> <clears throat> uh, yes. And uh, speaking of business. No! What? Oh, what did you think? Ah,
0: uh, <laughs> he asked me. He asked me.
1: <laughs> uh, man. am sorry. I, when do you ever have to be asked? I, think you just I always in. ask you see
0: right we'll get to the business but i haven't seen this in probably as long as you have maybe longer again i it may have been the 80s that i've actually watched the movie because we'd seen it so many times we don't need to see the movie i didn't learn anything new again it was a really nice print although they obviously use some really crappy film grain because it's <laughs> it's very yeah. grainy um but of course you know two hundred thousand dollars you know that couldn't even rent the truck today <laughs>
1: Yeah, uh, and I that think this.
0: I'm oh, go ahead. I'm sorry.
1: No, no. I was going to say that wouldn't even cover the catering budget of most movies.
0: Yeah, especially for all those students. Um, it's really hard to judge a film that's been with you since you know you were a, a little nerd growing up and to becoming a <laughs> awkward. <laughs> uh teenage nerd and i mean this is about as nerdy as it gets memorizing yeah, yeah. monty python right because that's like that yeah. again that is a cornerstone uh that's you know all the D nerds knew this or at least they'd seen it it was you know i'm sure it showed up in many many D games uh and it is so often quoted and over quoted it's kind of like the beatles right you can't deny that it has quality and it has something amazing but man you've heard it before Um, that's the only downside and it has nothing to do with the film. It has just has everything to do with people loving it too much. Yep. If you've never seen this and you don't know much about it, by all means, go ahead and watch it. It's going to have stuff that will surprise you. Uh, you won't see coming. You'll just be like, what did I just see? Um, (laughs) but you will laugh. I think you will. Um, if you don't like British humor, forget it, because it's about as British humor as you can get.
1: Oh, this is this is as English as tea and crumpets.
0: Yeah, um, and it's just a lot of fun, especially if you like history at all and you have any uh, sense of humor then yeah you, i think you're required
1: <laughs> yeah you you don't have to know anything about the arthurian legends really they didn't <laughs>
0: <laughs> well uh there was someone named arthur and um uh yeah oh they
1: knew these guys were okay. like some of these guys were oxford and cambridge educated they knew all about it they just didn't care yeah they just didn't bring it in uh but we do have business
0: so if yes, you would take business. care of our business so we usually take if, care of the beginning of the episode but we forgot that's okay
1: Yep, sorry, but uh, yeah. yes, if you do want to, please visit us at our website, maxmikemovies.com, where we have the entire back catalog of all our episodes and many pithy writings. Yes, I was pretty pithed when I wrote them. <laughs> uh, you can also find us on social media, on Facebook or Twitter, at Max Mike Movies. Uh, we are on Spotify, also, Max Mike Movies. Uh, you, Email? Uh, you can find us on your favorite podcast app. Yeah. Again, Max Mike Movies, and please, if you feel any urge to, feel free to email us at us, that's literally us, at maxmikemovies.com, especially if I got anything wrong about the history or any of that. And by the way, Joseph of Arimathea, according to the uh, Gospels, was the man who assumed responsibility for the burial of Jesus after his crucifixion. There is no actual historical location of Arimathea. Scholars propose Arimathea is probably an invented word meaning best doctrine town. Arr! I'm sorry. I had to get that in there. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> but I always wondered when, you know, said, of course, Joseph of Arimathea. Of course.
0: <laughs> yeah, b- b- yes. But mm-hmm.
1: but that brings us to the end of this movie. So, Mike, what is our next favorite thing, specifically one of your favorite things?
0: It is one of my favorite things. We're going to continue with comedy. <laughs>
1: Uh, um, okay
0: <laughs> No, we're not uh, And this is bringing us up to a Very close to a very important uh, Milestone for the show Indeed. Next week will be episode 99 um, That will yes, be Yes, which is our
1: tribute to Barbara Felder That's smart <laughs> Yeah, deep
0: dig there uh, No, it is not So uh, oh. we have been doing comedies uh, this, this time around uh, Well, I guess you could call it Casablanca It's a comedy with drama or a It drama has comedy, comedy elements Yeah uh, Then we did um, What's Up, Doc. Then we did Holy Grail. Uh, My favorite film is not in any way, shape, or form a comedy. I don't think there's a single laugh in it. Um, Mm. And there's a little bit of an issue because there's more than one version of this film. And we're going to be talking about a specific version, which, despite what the director says, is the best version. My choice for next week's film is 1982's Blade Runner. This is a film I've seen many times. I did see it when it came out. Uh, There have been technically four theatrical versions of it. There was the original 1982 version. There was a European version, done around the same time. There was the supposed but not actually 1992 director's cut, which is the one that we're going to be talking about. And there is the real director's cut, or the final cut, which is the one that unfortunately is the one you tend to find. Uh, If you can't find the right cut, it's okay. There's literally going to be about two or three things although they're important that are missing or added to depending on which version you see but we are going to be talking about the 1992 not made with his per- permission ridley scott director's cut of blade runner next week uh, cheery and max if you're a replicant i will hunt you down and i will shoot you <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah. Let me see the void comp test results first. I I left it in my other pants. Uh Uh-huh. Of course you did. So next
0: week when I find my other pants, till then. I
1: I am actually a standard pleasure model. (laughs) This has been a co-production of The Voice of Max and The Movie Wrench.